Well, good morning. Welcome back to Let's Open the Bible on this Friday morning. It's Russ and Gavin uh, back with you this morning. Good morning. Morning. I want to introduce to you, I'm not sure what struck your funny bone there, but... <laughs> oh, the way I say good morning. <laughs> good gracious. Oh, that was funny. I put a mint in my mouth and I was trying to chew it as fast as I could. And you said good morning. And I was like, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> We doggy. All oh right. my goodness. I'd have just turned off the podcast right then. So today we're going to talk about um, something called hermeneutics, which is a Greek word uh, that Gavin can explain better than I can, but basically it means interpretation. And I think you're just itching to add to that about Hermes and all that. No, you're shaking your head no? No, okay. I, I, all I would do is read this. Which So hermeneutics, which means to interpret, it's thought to be have been derived from the Greek god Hermes, who served as a messenger interpreting between gods and mortals. That's it. So, listener, in case you're wondering how in the world did we come up with these topics, so there are just certain things that we see as ministers of the gospel that we're asked or that we hear in the wild, so to speak. And one of the things that we hear oftentimes is a poorly used scripture, one that is taken completely out of context and used in a self-serving way. And so the passage that we're going to read today is from Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 6. This is one of those passages that is often abused and used in a self-serving way uh, and is not given any thought to its context, which is a key component of hermeneutics. And so there's something called a hermeneutical spiral. Uh, we don't have to get into the weeds on this, but basically it's a way to interpret the scripture. You begin in the in the in the general context of the, where you find the scripture uh, in, in the book uh, that it's used in. Uh, if there's any other books by that author, you consider those books and where it fits in the canon of the New Testament or Old Testament that it happens to be in. And then in the whole canon of scripture, uh, you consider the context in those different uh, spiral circles that get broader and broader as, as you f pull back from the text. Well, in the case of Matthew, of course, what we have is Matthew's gospel. Unlike Paul, he's he's got one uh, book here in the New Testament, be it a, a, a very important one. They're all important. Uh, and so I'm going to ask Brother Gavin to kick us off in prayer, and then I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and we can get into talking about uh, this passage that gets so abused. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, come again and enjoy coming over and over and over before your throne of grace where we can receive help in a time of need. And Heavenly Father, we do need help to walk through these things without any, any amount of, of uh, animosity or bitterness that um, though we have at times taken uh, texts out of context and we have made them say what we want them to say, uh, God, may we not be upset or bitter towards those that do that. Uh, there is certainly a biblical way to uh, respond to that, but it is not with, with any amount of, 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 uh, of hatred or judgmentalism. Heavenly Father, I do ask today that you would open our eyes, that we would see beautiful things in your word, and open our ears, that we would hear them, and open our hearts, that we would receive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so to be clear, we're not talking about those uh, biblical-sounding expressions that don't actually exist in Scripture. You know those passages. You've heard them. Maybe you've said them. Things like, you know, well, God only helps those who help themselves, or, you know, God never gives us more than, than we can bear. Those are not actually scriptural. They're just the from the uninspired imagination of men. 
this is one of those that is actually scriptural, but it is used in an unscriptural way. And so let's read the passage again, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, Jesus Caesar. This is where Matthew gets his red ink pen out, and he writes the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And so, again, verse 1 is the verse that I'm referring to that is so often quoted, judge not lest you be judged, or lest you be not judged. That's the one we hear people say. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, that was way I too confusing. It. Yeah, you, you did butcher it. So, yeah. But that's the one that, that, that we hear people say without any consideration at all to the context. Yeah, uh, Tupac, as Tupac said, uh, only God can judge me, right? Hmm. That so, famous theologian. Right. Yeah. Well, in my less sanctified days, I, I did enjoy his music. Or, um, But anyways, w- w- so what do you think about that? I mean, because I, I have, if I start, I might not stop about the, the idea be um, underlying that statement. But let me start with this to simplify. Maybe, I hope to simplify, that the hermeneutical spiral that you were talking about um, a little saying that may be helpful is a text without context is a pretext for a proof text. So if you don't take context into account, it becomes confirmation bias. You, you, you look for the Bible to say the things that you want it to say. And as Shakespeare one time said, and as Jesus experienced in the, when he was driven out into the wilderness, even the devil can quote scripture. That's right. Okay, so it, it, you can you can force uh, Paul. Uh, sorry, Peter in Second Peter three in his writing says that there there are difficult things in Scripture to understand, and he actually is attributing it to Paul's writings. He says, you know, Paul's writings. There are some things in there that are tough to understand, and the evil and unstable twist them to their own destruction. There, there is a we have the ability to twist stri- twisted Scripture. Yeah, Isn't twist. that maybe your rock band. That's, yeah, twisted Scripture. But we have an ability to twist scripture to our own destruction. Yeah. It, it'll destroy you. If, if you get on the wrong track and if it's a primary issue of the faith, you end up in bad places. You end up outside of the faith. And if it's a secondary or tertiary issue of the faith, as we I think we spoke about that last week or two weeks ago, but but if it's a if it's a lesser um in terms of significant to your salvation issue of the faith. So if it's a secondary issue or tertiary issue, you will end up robbing yourself of a whole lot of joy by believing a wrong thing. Yeah. And so the way this kind of works out in practice is, and, and I'm ashamed to admit that this, I fell into this one time and I caught myself, um, fortunately, but you have a, you have a message or you have something that you want to say. And so then you look to scripture to support the argument, your presuppo- your presupposition. And so I, I distinctly remember, and I don't remember the topic, but I had a topic I was going to preach on. And then I was striving to figure out the scripture that supported the topic. And here's what I learned. There wasn't one. 
I was disappointed. I couldn't preach what I wanted to preach because Scripture didn't support what I wanted to preach. But all too often what happens is, is we just kind of take Scripture completely out of context. Maybe we even rewrite it so that we can feel good about our argument. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't believe you you were blessed enough to to divert yourself from that failure. I, man, I went boldly in. Uh, so... It was, I think it was a Father's Day sermon, and I've done this on other occasions, but but I can vividly remember on a Father's Day sermon, uh, I had the idea, wrote the sermon, and I never do this. I, I really try to stay like I'm a start in the chapter one and work through the book. And, and when I preach, it's expositional and uh, exegetical, and, and we work from from the first part of the book until till the end. But this time, I had a Father's Day sermon, and I put it together, and. Um, at the very last minute, I thought, you have no right to rob the people of hearing the word of God. So I, what was the best passage that went with this text? I don't even remember how I, it didn't match up. And so I uh, got in the car with a former pastor, a friend and, and a disciple leader of mine. And he said, for a person that believes a lot in the word, I didn't get the connection between today's message and the word of God. And I'm one that wants to keep your nose in the Bible. And I say, look at this verse. And we're going to talk about this verse and and work through it that I usually do that, man. I, I got so far off course. Mm. We so, anyways, back to back to the uh, the text today. Yeah. So, but that's how these things happen, and that's how we end up with someone talking about you know you can't judge me, only God can judge me, or different things like that. Like you said, Tupac said, only can only God can judge me. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. kind of leads to the question, and I'm asking you here, Gavin. Uh, are we to be fruit inspectors? Yes, but not fruit pickers. Walk me through, because I think I know exactly what you mean, but walk me through. So my pastor one time said, you know, we're not called to be fruit pickers, but fruit inspectors. And I think what he was talking about there was, is that, that, you know, we can, we can see the evidence of fruit. We can inspect for the evidence of fruit of the spirit in a person's life, but only God is the one that's picking the fruit. Like it's his fruit. Uh, And, and so, but you, you say, yes, we can be fruit inspectors. I think there's a lot to this. So, so for example, um, there are very immature people in the church. Not pointing any fingers. I'm not thinking about anybody specifically. I can't believe you'd talk about me like that. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, very immature people in the church. And the Bible says that we're to let them grow together because some of the things that we would consider tares are actually immature wheat. They look a lot like tares, but they're actually just not fully mature, developed wheat. So let the wheat and the tares grow together and God will separate them. Okay, but there are other times in Scripture that says, "Hey, uh, for example, First Corinthians five that says you guys are looking at this person that gives zero evidence of faith. There's no fruit in their lives, and you're letting them exist in the church. And you ought not to say we are going to turn you over to the devil for the destruction of your flesh that your soul may be saved. That's called church discipline. Is it? Is it? Uh, is it authoritative?" I mean, are we the ones that say you're lost and going to hell? No, but we are to inspect the fruit and take action to say there is zero collectively. No no individual has the right to do this. No pastor has the right to kick you out of a church individually. Uh, if you follow the, the the prescription in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 and other That's places right. in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 2, the, the pastor alone, no elder alone, no person in the church can kick you out. But if the church collectively sees zero evidence of fruit, they need to love you enough to warn you severely severely and say like we're gonna by some type of means put you outside 
of, of among us is the kind of the language of first Corinthians five. So don't judge those outside the church, which we do very well, but judge the, those that are among you purge them. I mean, there are a whole bunch of reasons why they're explained, but so we are to be fruit inspectors. Okay. Um, uh, there's an interesting one in Luke 17, three, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. I thought we weren't to judge another person. Well, we're to rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think there's a difference between judgment and judgmentalism. I think there's a difference between rebuke and, and feeling superior to people. I think rebuke in this context comes from a place of love. Right. It comes from a place of like humility. And it has a purpose, and the purpose restoration. is restoration. Yeah, so so you cannot separate 1 Corinthians 5, and I don't even think it's the same situation, but 1 Corinthians 5 from 2 Corinthians, uh, 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 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, one is saying like, receive him back lest he be overcome with grief. I want to know that you're obedient in all things in second Corinthians two. So this man, I don't think, think they're the same. I don't think they're the same man. Some people do. I don't, I think it's a different man. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and saying, listen, you've kicked him out, receive him back lest he be overcome with grief. And he says, I want to make sure you're uh, obedient in all things. I think there's some people that love to judge. There are some people that love to kick others out of the church. There's some people that love to say, I don't see any fruit in your life. And he's saying, listen, don't be lazy about that. Some of you are boasting about how welcoming you are and forgiving you are, and you really need to be warning this guy. That's kind of the message of 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah, and and we see there in 1 Corinthians a church that was so lax that they allowed sexual misconduct to be taking Gross place. sexual yes. misconduct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Deviant so, behavior. Yeah, so so that's laziness, and that's not loving. You need to right. love them enough to say, I, I'm, we're scared for you. But then some other people, like so so those people are being lazy in one way. Other people are being lazy in another. Well, the person's out. We just forgot about him. And no, you're to be begging this person to repent and begging this person to come back. And as soon, in my opinion, as soon as is possible, as very soon as you're to receive this person back. I'll give you another one. Titus one, um, Titus one, just, uh, maybe I've got a turn there. No, um, Titus one, seven for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now that's, those are the qualifications for an overseer. If you're in a church and you're an overseer, this should be you. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Can you imagine a pastor that goes out and corrects people? For unsound doctrine? Are you kidding me? And I mean that we should. I'm just saying like that's right. the world's mentality. Yeah. The world's mentality. You can't judge me. I can't believe. Oh, I just said, I just said, hello, good master. I'm using, I hope you know, you're following the reference. When, when uh, what, the rich young ruler came yeah. up to Jesus and said, hello, good master. Jesus yeah. says, why do you call me? good? Like, I would have just said, hey, buddy, I'm saying hi. Or why do you hang on every word? Because doctrine's important. Yeah, words matter. Words matter. So again, people would say, "Stop judging me." And 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 as a, as an and and I think there's a context for this. I don't think we need to be out there correcting every little jot and tittle of everything anybody says. And I don't think we have the same responsibility for people of other flocks, other churches, than we do for our own church. But I think we are to be able to correct unsound doctrine and rebuke it. I'll give you, and then it keeps going. So um, as far as people that are teaching bad things, in verse 11 of Titus 1, it says, they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. There is a sense at which you're to silence them. Okay, and you go, okay, well then I can judge everybody. No. 
in Titus 3, it says there's, there are people that are causing division in a church. They're arguing over foolish things. They're causing division. Warn them once and then twice and then have nothing more to do with them. So we have to be able to determine what's the, the difference between uh, rebuking and judgmentalism or judging and being judgmental. I think one is acceptable and, and, and one is not. Um, I want to read one more in Romans 2. Uh, you can read. You want to read Romans two one through like three. No, you go ahead because I want to get back to Matthew when after. Good. This. Okay. Okay. Um, where did I say I was going? I don't. Uh, Romans two one through three. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice things and yet do them yourselves that you will escape the judgment of God. I think what it's saying also is this, as you go out and, and, and lovingly rebuke at times, reprove, rebuke, uh, 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 preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort as you lovingly reprove, lovingly rebuke, lovingly exhort people. You need to understand you're not, you're not perfect and your doctrine's not perfect and you need to do so with abject humility. Yeah. And so God, in Romans 2, it says God judges correctly, implying we don't. And it, it doesn't imply. I mean, we know we don't judge correctly. We need to be very cautious about how we go. And that's what Romans, uh, sorry, Matthew 7 is going to get into. Man, you got a log in your eye that you're going to go correct somebody. You better, you better get in the word, get that log, spiritual, that spiritual log taken out, that judgmental log, that prideful log, the, the condescending log taken out of your eye before you approach your brother. Yeah. And then, and then Romans two goes on to say that um, God's long suffering is is to bring about repentance. His mercy and His grace are about uh, given to bring about repentance. So the anger of man. Uh, let me bring in another one. James one. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's right. And and so in in our passage from from Matthew seven, this is Jesus's sermon on the mount, and so he's covering a, a variety of topics. Obviously, the the judge not that you be not judged. There's a reference to uh, judging poorly, uh, you know, with wrong motives, and and that's where he's getting at. Here's you know, get the spec, get the log out of your eye before you uh, try to you know go uh, uh, picking splinters out of others. But Gavin, I wanted uh, you look like you want to say something. Then I want to ask you a question about verse six. Okay, um, yeah, I want to say it's the, it's also the the standard of of what standard are you bringing to bear? Yeah. So, so by what standard? So, what with weight? the measure you use, yeah. it'll be measured. If, back if you're going to gonna use uh, poor measurements, if, you know, if you're going to be a harsh judge, okay. If you're going to be legalistic, okay. If you're going to be not merciful, not gracious, not not winsome, not loving, not kind, okay. That unforgiving servant, you know, he found out the hard way that, that he owes far more than anybody ever owed him. And so if we want to if we want to be harsh in our judgments with others, guess what? We owe a greater debt than we could ever possibly play, pay to the one who paid it at the cross. That's right. And if we're going to be unmerciful, we will receive if if we do not forgive, neither will we be forgiven. So verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before the swine lest they trample them under their feet and and turn and tear you in pieces. Gavin, help us uh, with some clarity on on what he is what Jesus is saying to us here in verse 6 and and what does that have to do with judgment? 
Yeah, I think you don't answer a fool according to his folly. Yeah. So you just need to be cautious about which battles you engage in and don't get caught up in foolish controversies. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Like there's a, there's a sense of which we can go in as, as holy rollers and, and battling in, in fights that are not ours. Um, and, and just, I, I don't, I don't know that we, we cast those holy pearls, those, those, uh, truths before, uh, I mean, do, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Well, what do you think? No, I, you know, I was thinking that, uh, you know, the Proverbs also talks about, uh, uh, the fool is, is like, uh, you know, smoke to the eyes and, and, uh, uh, vinegar to the teeth, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's like you said, you know, cast it, cast in the, the, what is holy to, to the, the dogs is a, is akin to, um, the foolish, you know, so do not answer a fool according to his folly. And then the, of course, the wisdom, uh, in the very next verse is answer a fool. According yeah. To right. His folly, right. right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. uh, lest yeah. he be wise in his own eyes is I think what it says, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, hermeneutics matters. And it matters because it, it, it aids in our clarity and understanding of, of a passage. We're not able to take a passage and make it say what we want it to mean if we're going to be faithful to the text, faithful to the context of the passage. And, uh, you know, so we want to make sure we understand whatever verse we're getting ready to throw at somebody. Yeah. We want to make sure that, that we understand what that verse means. Yeah. I think, I think my big problem right now is, is even as in this podcast is my mind goes a thousand different places and I don't slow down to discuss the verse that we're, that is in front of us. I do that far I had, too often. I noticed that. Yeah, you have. You're the one that kind of redirects me. Um, you even said it a little earlier. Let's get back to, to Matthew seven. But, um, so, so let's, let's, let's fly through this. I know we're, we're running a little long, but, um, judge not, uh, that you may, uh, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think we went over that, right? That, that if the standard that you employ, is it a standard of God's first and foremost? Yeah. And is it, um, is it a long suffering standard? Um, you know, are, are you bearing with your brother and are you going in kindness and gentleness to him? Uh, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Um, any counselor, any pastor, any rebuker, corrector, or any church has to understand that we do not see the world clearly. You know, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's right. So you, you need to trust that you don't see this situation as clearly. In fact, every single pastor that I know that I've done any amount of looking into with regard to church discipline has messed up big time. Hmm. Um, Many of them have had to publicly apologize for jumping the gun as they did not do due diligence in their research on the issue. They're not bad pastors. They're not uh, in, in the in a in a sense. Of course, you know, in a sense, we are all fallen short of the glory of God. You who are evil, the Bible would call us. So I don't want to say good. There's only one good. But these men are not malicious right. men out to you know, trash people's reputation and they've messed up. We mess up. So we need to get that board out of our eye first. I mean, that's the point of this text, right? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, uh, your eye when there is a log in your own. I mean, first of all, not only are you unaware that the, you're, you're, you're jacked up in the way you see things, but next you're going to perform surgery blind. 
You're going to help your brother get right with God when you can't see a thing? you got a board in your eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are you directing them? The only thing you can direct them to is because you got a board in your eye is your own heart, which is not the place that you want to direct anybody to. I think it's Galatians 6.1. Okay. You know, yeah, you, spiritually mature. you who yeah. are spiritual, right? Yeah. So, you know, you, your heart must be right. You must not approach this person uh, that has this speck in their eye uh, with an agenda. That's the plank. The agenda is the plank, uh, you know, or, or the condemnation that you want to heap on this person. That is the plank, whatever it is. You got to get your heart right with God before you approach this person. And that's prayer, but it's also saturating yourself with the word. Yes. Like if you, to the best of our ability also, I tell people, listen, you, you don't really have a right to go and address anybody. You want to talk about judgmentalism or, or the, the ability to rebuke somebody. You don't have that right if you go in a, in a, from a place of condemnation or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're angry at that person, you ought probably not be the one that goes to them unless it's truly, purely righteous anger. And I don't trust a whole lot of people to discern whether they have righteous anger or non-righteous anger. And then, and then the other part or unrighteous anger, right? Um, so do you go in a place from a place of love? Like I care enough about you. I don't want, I don't want to be here, but I care enough about you. I can't be elsewhere. Right. Okay. So, um, uh, you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye. So you go, okay, now I've removed that eye so I can just leave him alone because I shouldn't judge anybody. Right. I should leave my brother alone. I shouldn't judge him. Is that what it says after you get this log out? No. It says, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah. Only once we have done what we need to do with the Lord, let the Lord minister to our heart. Only then do we proceed, uh, to remove the splinter. From our brother's eye. But we are expected to remove the splinter. Yes. I mean, I, a lot of people just get to that first verse. Yeah. 7-1. Oh, they never get past it. They never get past it. So now they've got a splinter in their eye, and they think we're loving by leaving it there. Yeah. So they sit on the sidelines and allow that person to continue to sin, and that's not what love does. No. But but we don't want to judge anybody. Right. Yeah. But it says rebuke your brother, you know. Luke reminds us, Luke 17, yeah. reminds us, rebuke your brother. Yeah, uh, We are to, again, preach the word in season, out of season, and then it's reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Yeah, with and, all long-suffering. Yeah, yeah, love, love and long-suffering. It should be from a place, if, if you're just getting preached down to and at, and you have a pastor that's just hateful, and I think every one of us maybe has drifted in and out of that, It's it, I want to say this, it is not excusable. Uh, it is forgivable, but there's no excuse for preaching down to people and yelling at people. But there's also no excuse for not addressing the splinter in your brother's eye. Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, thank you for this week, uh, listener, for joining us and being with us this week as we just completed our 85th episode of Let's Open the Bible. That's pretty, uh, pretty significant as we are hurtling towards our 100th episode. It seems like there ought to be some kind of celebration for that. I, I don't know. Uh, I would be curious to know uh, when we get to number 100, if you would reach out and let us know if you've listened to all 100 episodes there, there, we, you know, I feel compelled to say something witty, like there should be a special place for you in heaven or something like that. I no. wish we had some kind of reward or we do. some kind of, oh, we do. We do. Okay. Yeah. My kids are multi-billionaires in air dollars. Um, we oh. have, yeah, I give out air dollars um, on uh, as needed basis. So oh. if you have listened to how many episodes now? Uh, well, it, I was saying if we get to 100 and somebody has listened to all 100. All 100, they get, you name it, 
I mean, we're talking about air dollars. It's kind of unlimited. A, a million? Yeah. A million. I like it. Okay. A million air dollars to be spent wherever they accept air dollars. Air dollars. Yeah. I have a lot of air cars now, oh. air airplanes. I'm just thinking to myself, <laughs> this could go really poorly if, if there's an airline company that offers air dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Not re- no, they're 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 certified by me. A good oh. thing, good thing. Uh, so okay. so to avoid Ooh. any legal hassles, yeah. the these air these specific air dollars yeah. are uh, they got Pacific Gavin's picture air, on it. Yeah, <laughs> what? I'm not invisible. They don't have my picture on it. No, but Julie said she wished you were. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Listener, uh, we appreciate you enduring with us. Please be in, in the Lord's house this weekend, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Until we see you Monday, God bless.